Okay, we got a lot of ground to cover, and so let's, let's get busy. John chapter 3, I want to quickly look at a verse in John chapter 3, and then I want to look at a verse also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So John chapter 3 verse 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. A little mysterious there. All right, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, these gifts, distributing to each one individually, just as He, the Spirit, wills. Now, the Spirit of God is working in ways that the Bible says are somewhat mysterious, and they're certainly done according to His plan and His will, not necessarily ours. Well, that reality creates some questions for us. And frankly, there are some questions that we have regarding the work of the Spirit that we will not be able to answer tonight. I I cannot in two times cover all that needs to be covered, and if I had a lifetime, I couldn't answer all the questions that may surround the work of God. There is a mystery to it. So tonight what I want to do is I want to lay a biblical foundation for us that I think will help you deal with some of the questions you may have. I'll address some of the questions along the way, but I just want to make sure that we get a good biblical foundation when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to remind you what we established as primary a month ago. One month ago, we established that the greatest work of the Spirit is the work that brings about repentance and persevering faith in the life of a sinner, that there is no greater work than that, that that is the greatest work of the Spirit, and that all other works of the Spirit are secondary to that work in the sense that all other works lose their value for salvation outside of repentance and persevering faith, that all other works of the Spirit find their value in the greatest work of the Spirit. And so that is critical that we understand that the Bible teaches us that the greatest work of the Spirit is repentance and persevering faith of an individual. The Bible says that heaven rejoices over the repentance of a sinner. There's no rejoicing going on in heaven when someone experiences some of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. The rejoicing is when any of those gifts or works of the Spirit serves the greatest work of the Spirit. The rejoicing occurs when the greatest work of the Spirit is accomplished. And so that's what the Bible teaches. We've got to remember that as we dig in. Now I want to build us a foundation, and there are three pillars on this foundation for this foundation. All right, number one is the Bible is the only and the totally sufficient rule for judging the work of the Spirit. The Bible is the only and totally sufficient rule for judging the work of the Spirit. God has given us His Word, and His Word is His revelation to us of Himself. 
That doesn't mean that all there is to know about God is only found in the Bible, but it does mean that God has chosen for this time that we would know for certain all that we need to know about Him through the Word. There is no way to certainly know the work of the Spirit outside what God has revealed in His Word. And so the Word creates for us the only insufficient judge rule to judge the work of the Spirit. So that if I'm evaluating whether or not something is the work of the Spirit, then I need to go to God's Word and see if this is what God has said He does. And if God has revealed that this is who He is and this is what He does and what I'm evaluating according to the Word of God falls within the parameters of Scripture, then I would then affirm this is the work of the Spirit. If something occurs that does not fall within the parameters of what God says, then I would say this is not the work of the Spirit. And if I found that I was in some level of doubt about whether or not something was the work of the Spirit because I did not see it clearly lining up with Scripture, then I would want to err on the side of trusting what Scripture clearly says. Because the only certain way we can judge the works of the Spirit are through the Word of God. There is no other way to be certain about who God is and what God does except through God's Word. And and I hope you feel some weight when I say that, some direction. You need to be a person who is striving to know God's Word. So the Word of God provides us this sufficient rule for judging the work of the Spirit of God. In addition to that, the Word of God also helps us by prioritizing the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. This is very helpful. And we've already talked about the fact that the greatest work of the Spirit is repentance and persevering faith. But the Scripture also tells us about the greatest gift of the Spirit, prioritizes the gifts of the Spirit. And the greatest gift of the Spirit, or the greatest um, Spirit-wrought condition in the life of a sinner is the Spirit-enabled ability to love another sinner. There is no greater gift to a believer than the ability that a believer receives from the Spirit to love, with a Christ-like love, another sinner. The scripture in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 emphasizes the fact that every other gift of the Spirit only has value if that gift is done in love. And what I, what I really like about the fact that the scripture prioritizes that love is the greatest gift the Spirit enables in the life of a believer is the fact that all of us can experience that gift from the Spirit of God. And there's nothing more important than that gift. After Paul details all the gifts that he chooses to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I want to tell you of a more excellent way. And then he goes into love. And the point is that in, all, in light of all these gifts that the Spirit can do, there's nothing more significant that he will do in all of you than enable and empower you to love another sinner. 
And the fact is that not every one of us in this room will experience the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing or the gift of faith or the gift of tongues. That won't happen. The, the, the chances of you experiencing any one of those gifts uh, at any point in your lifetime is probably not all that great. You're not going to experience all those gifts. You may not experience any of those gifts that I just mentioned. But you will experience the greatest gift of the Spirit to a believer. The gift to love. And there is no more important gift that the Bible attests to in identifying the work of the Spirit than to love another sinner. And so the Bible helps us tremendously in understanding the priorities of the gifts and the way to judge what is the work of the Spirit. So the Word of God helps us to judge rightly the work of the Spirit and enables us to prioritize correctly the gifts of the Spirit. So pillar number one is the Word of God. Okay, number two, I want to give you three categories for the work of the Spirit. Category number one are those things which are certainly the work of the Spirit, the certain work of the Spirit. These are the things that the Bible clearly identifies as works of the Spirit, the the, the clear things that the Bible teaches. We've we've detailed several of those last time. I gave a handout um, that had some of those listed. Things like faith and repentance, things like assurance of your salvation, the gifts of the Spirit, dreams and visions, things that the Scripture is very clear that the Spirit of God does. Making sure that you resist sin, you can overcome sin. You have the power to be a witness for the gospel. You are compelled towards unity in the church. Um, The certain works of the Spirit that are clearly defined and communicated and understood through Scripture. The certain works of the Spirit. That's category number one. Now, when you think about the certain works of the Spirit, I want to also encourage you that these certain works should be understood through Scripture. Just because you've identified them as certain, you still have to identify how those certain gifts, works of the Spirit operate. So let me give you an example. Let's take the the area of dreams. This is a way that the Spirit of God works. It's in the Scripture. Undeniably, the activity of the Spirit of God. So if we want to know and define how that works in our lives as believers, then we've got to make sure that the the Word of God defines for us the parameters within which God works through dreams so that we could then identify what is certainly the work of God in a dream. In other words, you would not want to have a dream, and because of its bizarre nature, conclude, this must be from God. 
and then begin to, to have your life dictated on the nature of that bizarre dream just because it was shocking or you felt like it was from God. I mean, that's not a good way to um, define a certain work of the Spirit of God. You've got to make sure you allow Scripture to define that. And so if you were going to do that, what you do is you look up every time that somebody has a dream in Scripture that is certainly the work of the Spirit, and you would see what God does and how He does it. It would create for you the parameters within which you can certainly know the work of the Spirit. And so if you did that in the category of dreams, and and you wanted to know as a believer, what can I expect? These are some things that you would walk away with. You'd walk away with the reality that God's primary way of speaking and leading and directing your life will not be dreams. It will be the Word of God. And that God could, if the occasion is necessary, according to His will and purpose, could guide your life with a dream. And if He were to do that, the Scripture would give you parameters that would help you conclude that if God were to do that, that dream would be a clear message from God that I would know is from God. It would not be a bizarre dream that happens 17 times and because of its bizarre bizarre nature and reoccurrences, you figure that's got to be from God. And you have no idea really what it means and so you need help in figuring it out and you go and ask somebody and that's not what you see in Scripture. What you see in Scripture is, particularly in the New Testament, we'll we'll talk about the Old Testament in just a second, but the New Testament, you don't see any kind of symbolic or allegory type dream at all. Nothing like that in the New Testament. In the New Testament you see somebody showing up, it's a man, it's an angel, it's the angel of the Lord, somebody that's clearly from God, speaking a message that is directly from God, that the recipient of that dream knows is God, and there's no interpretation necessary. It's clear, it's direct, and they follow what God has said. And and that's what you see. Even when you look to the Old Testament, and you see some symbols and pictures of things, more like maybe an allegory or an illustration, something like that, all of those things are still clear direction and clear messages from the Lord that are perfectly fulfilled and understood by the believer who has such a dream. There is no mystery. There is no, I'm wondering if this is from God. You know it's from God. You know what it means. And its meaning is clear and it's perfectly fulfilled. There's there's no mystery about it. So if God guides you through a dream, you will, number one, know it's from God. Number two, it'll have the characteristics of what God does in dreams, through the work of the Spirit. And if there's any doubt created by what you experience because it doesn't line up with the parameters, it's not from God. If a dream is from God, you will know it. But again, the primary way God directs your life is through the Word of God, not through dreams. It would be the exception possible. And if you're going to experience it, it's got to fall within the parameters of what the work of the Spirit really is. So the certain works of the Lord, detailed in Scripture, and given parameters for understanding how they work. All right? Category number two, the less than certain works of the Spirit. These are those things that uh, could be the work of the Spirit, but the Scripture doesn't 
necessarily detail them out in the way that they were experienced. And they don't, they don't violate Scripture. They don't go against Scripture. They just don't find a place of specific description within Scripture. And so there's no violation of Scripture. It's just a possible um, work of the Spirit that could be uh, in the umbrella of Scripture, but there's nothing specific described there like that. Let me give you an example. Have you heard the term slain in the Spirit? Um, I won't ask the question, who here has been slain in the Spirit? I'll just ask the safer question, have you heard the term slain in the Spirit? Um, When it comes to being slain in the Spirit, what that means is that you are uh, immobilized. Typically, you fall down, and you're either unconscious or just immovable for some amount of time, usually a short amount of time. Um, and it's, it's brought on because typically, this is typical, in today's Christian culture that practices being slain in the Spirit, typically it's brought on by somebody who says that they're able to slay you in the Spirit. And so if they say they can slay you in the Spirit and that's what you want, uh, then they'll do that and you'll be immovable or unconscious for a short period of time. And they, that is a proposed work of the Spirit. Now, if we're going to take this proposed work of the Spirit and say, okay, if God shows us what He does and how He does it in the Word of God, let's, let's just look at this and see what's going on here. There are no biblical examples of anyone involuntarily, any believer involuntarily going unconscious because of the presence of God's work, because of the presence of God in the Scripture. That, that's not there. Now, the, the closest description of involuntarily falling down because of the presence of God is in, in John where um, there's a group of people who, interestingly enough, are unbelievers who've come to kill and arrest Jesus, uh, basically attack him in the garden, and they're asking him, you know, where is Jesus, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he's like, I am. And so he says this I am statement. Now, John really emphasizes that through John eight different times. But in this one particular time, he says, I am. And when he says that, I am he, um, everybody that's there to arrest him just falls down, just involuntarily falls down. And so the Holy Spirit's not even mentioned as being responsible for this. And the term slain in the Spirit cannot be applied to that situation. <clears throat> the only time in the New Testament you see someone falling down you see them voluntarily falling down because of fear uh, in the presence of God. And every time that that happens, God's response is, don't be afraid. So so the voluntary response of fear that's led to them falling on their face, God says, you don't have to be afraid. I'm here to speak a word to you that's meant to strengthen the body. And, and, And so that's what happens in the New Testament. So that's the closest thing in the New Testament. The only other occurrence in the Old Testament occurs with Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, Daniel actually has an experience with the presence of the Lord that renders him um, rather immovable and speechless and trembling. And, and God, again, strengthens Daniel and um, tells Daniel, take courage, don't be afraid. So it's like Daniel's had this re- reaction to the presence of God and God's saying, that, that's not the reaction that you're going to keep on having here. That's not what I want from you. What I want from you is to be strengthened to do what I'm telling you to do. And the fact that you're in my presence requires me to help you out here. And, uh, and so Daniel's helped out. He's given strength by the Lord. He is called to overcome his fear and have courage and press forward in fearful, faithful obedience. 
And that's an experience just between Daniel and God. And the only reason we know that ever happened is because Daniel makes it known in his writings. Um, There is nothing in Scripture that gives us good biblical evidence that the the comment, the current day experience of being slain in the Spirit is a work of the Spirit. So then the next question is, is it possible for you or for me to be rendered temporarily immovable, um, temporarily just struck so that we cannot move or we fall down because of God's presence? Yes, it is possible. But, but is it certain that that is a work of the Spirit? No, it's less than certain. See, it falls in the category of less than certain. Okay, then the third category is the category of something that is certainly not the work of the Spirit. So you got something that's certainly the work of the Spirit, less than certain, and then certainly not. So somebody comes to you and says, God has told me to tell you that he thinks it's a good idea for you to get a divorce. Well, we're going to know that's not the work of the Spirit because that directly contradicts what God says the Spirit does. So the Spirit doesn't do that. The Spirit does not tell people things that God's Word already has said God doesn't say. All right? So the, not, the, the, the things that are certainly not the work of the Spirit are the things that contradict what God says. So somebody comes to you and says, God has told me that He wants to heal you. And the reason He wants to heal you is because He doesn't want you as His child to suffer. And because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he provided healing for all our diseases. And if you will simply believe in Jesus, in the atoning power of his death and resurrection, he will heal you so that you don't have to suffer in anything like this ever again. I mean, that sounds good, but that again directly contradicts what Scripture says. Scripture says that the children of God will most definitely suffer and there are evidences in Scripture of people that don't get healed from diseases. I mean, the greatest evidence is that all of them died. None of them were permanently healed. They all died and didn't get permanent healing until they died and went to be with the Lord. So, So that's not the work of the Spirit. And so... Anything that directly violates or contradicts what God has said he will do is not him. So you've got these three categories. The, the certain work of the Spirit, the less than certain, and those things that are certainly not. Now I want to give you some biblical advice because there are lots of things that happen in life that we could fit in the categories of less than certain all the way to the certainly not. There's just lots of stuff that can fit in those categories that people talk about and that we could experience. So let me give you some biblical advice here. Make sure that you rely totally on the certain works of the Spirit. 
The things that the Bible says are certainly the works of the Spirit ought to be your pursuit and what you rely upon. And please don't forget that the most important, the greatest work of the Spirit is repentance and persevering faith. There is nothing greater than that. So spend your efforts there. All right? Secondly, for those things that are less than certain or, or even secondary, secondary in the sense that they fall outside the category of the greatest, um, p- please don't make a big deal about those in your life. Don't, don't be consumed by things, things that are less than certain or secondary. D- don't believe the lie that things that are less than certain or secondary are really the more of the Spirit that you've been missing. See, see if you're able to experience the greatest work of the Spirit and the greatest gift of the Spirit because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're able to experience that because of the grace, then there's no more that you need to be having to have the greatest. And so don't get distracted by secondary things, thinking that those secondary things are primary. Don't do that. Make sure that you, that you really rely on the primary. And then please don't forget that we have an enemy that loves to take things that fall into a less than certain category and things that fall into a certainly not category and work them in such a way as to convince you and me that they are God when they are not so that we might become distracted from what is primary. Persevering faith and loving people with the Christ-like love. You have an enemy. He wants to destroy and deceive you. So you make sure that you camp out in the greatest works of the Spirit and the certain works of the Spirit. All right, number three. Jesus Christ, knowing him and simply following him is enough. Do you know when he returns that all of these works of the Spirit that stir up a lot of, of attention will no longer be uh, happening in eternity? They're not going to be there. And I just want to propose to you that if they were all that great and wonderful, and I'm not denying that the work of the Spirit is wonderful. I just think the work of the Spirit's not getting the right press all the time. And what I want you to see is that the greatest works of the Spirit are what endure. Love remains forever. Knowing Christ remains forever. All the other stuff just goes away. And I want you to remember that Jesus actually had something to say about a desire for signs and wonders. I think it's so important to remember his perspective on this. 
See, people around him wanted to see the work of the Spirit. And so we'd ask him about this. In one situation, he told a group of Pharisees a story about a rich man and a man named Lazarus. And he said to the rich man through Abraham, after the rich man died and went to a very bad place, um, he was talking to the rich man, and the rich man said to Abraham, could you send Lazarus, who had also died, back to my family so they could tell them about the truth, and they would not come to this place of torment where I am? And Abraham responded to him, saying, they have Moses and the prophets. You let them listen to them. And the rich man objected. He said, wait, no, if somebody came back from the dead, they would surely listen. And Abraham said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, it won't matter if somebody comes back from the dead. Now, Jesus told that story because he wanted us to recognize that if I tonight brought some dead guy in here on the table, I mean, he's verified dead, I mean, he's five days stinking, and I said, watch what I'm going to do in the power of the Spirit, and I raised him from the dead, and there happened to be people in this room that did not believe in the message of Jesus Christ. And they said, now I want to believe. Jesus would say to them, that kind of belief is not the kind of belief that gets you saved. Because if what you heard about me from the word of God is not sufficient for you to trust in me for salvation, that's not going to work. See, Jesus' message is that he is enough. And the message of Christ in the word of God is enough. He has the same kind of message that he gives in John chapter 6. The people get food from Jesus, and they come because they want more food. And when he questions them on that statement, then they say, well, give us a sign so that we can believe in you. And Jesus essentially says to them, look, I want you guys to know I'm sign enough. If, if, if I'm not able to do it for you, you're headed down the wrong path. See, Jesus was enough, and they said, you're not enough. And that's not the direction we want to head. We want to make sure we head in the direction that communicates you and you alone are enough. Do you recognize when you get in the place where you are striving for the greatest work of the Spirit to happen in you? Persevering faith throughout your life to the day you die. Where you are striving for the greatest gift of God to be evident in all you do. Love for the unlovable because of Christ's love for you. When, when you're living that kind of life out, do you know what? You've put yourself in a great position to experience some of the other works of the Spirit. And you might... You might not. You might experience gift A, or you might not. And because of the fact that the Spirit only works as the Spirit wills to work, you may or may not have certain experiences of the work of the Spirit. But everything you may or may not have is secondary.
at best. Everything you will have and that you can have more and more and more over your lifetime is primary. And so I want to give you some encouragement as you walk through life focusing on the primary, the greatest works of the Spirit, the greatest gift of the Spirit, then as you encounter any other experiences in your life, be wise. Be wise. And evaluate on the basis of God's Word. God's Word is your only judge for the work of the Spirit. Be wise. Number two, always prioritize biblically. It will save you from so much pain and heartache. I can't tell you the number of people that have come to me saying, I heard so-and-so had this experience in the Spirit, and I just feel like I don't have all that they have. You know what they've done? They've put what's secondary is primary, and they've put what's primary is secondary. And we've got to make sure we keep the biblical priorities so we're not craving something that the Spirit might never intend for us to experience. But we're instead feasting on the very thing that the work that the Spirit promises to work in every one of us. So prioritize biblically. Number three, be thankful for everything. Be thankful. Every experience in life can be used by the Lord to redeem you, to reconcile you, to draw you to Christ. Everything is meant to be something that brings you into persevering faith in Jesus. So be thankful. Just be so thankful. And and lastly, please, please, please live your life as if everything secondary never had to happen. Just keep pressing on in faith, no matter what, because that is the greatest work of the Spirit of Christ. Now, I've been walking with Christ for a little over three decades. And over those three plus decades, you could characterize my life in Christ as one generally um, a persevering faith and an increasing empowerment to love others. Now, now hear me when I say generally. I'm just like all of you having ups and downs through that with sins and repentance, a lot of repentance going on for that to be happening over the course of 30 plus years, okay? But I want you to hear that the general work of the Spirit over all those decades has been the work of repentance and persevering faith and the work of learning to love other people. Now, scattered throughout those years, scattered, not not the everyday occurrence, not the every week occurrence, but scattered over decades, I have experienced works and gifts of the Spirit. I have experienced prophecy. I have experienced visions. I have experienced speaking in tongues. I have experienced healing and healing others. I have experienced a variety of the works of of the Spirit. 
over the decades of my walk with Christ. But none of that really matters. All of that is just secondary. What really matters in my life is knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing compares to that. And all these little things sprinkled along the way, not really for me, they were for the body of Christ. But what I can't live without, I can live without all that stuff. And some of you in this room would say, I've been walking with Christ X number of years, and I've never had you know, that thing or this thing or that thing. Well, everybody has some secondary work of the Spirit because every believer has some gifting to strengthen the body when given by the will of the Spirit. So somewhere along the lines, you've experienced something else secondary, but it doesn't matter how many things or what kinds of things, that stuff is insignificant when compared to the reality of simply knowing and walking with Jesus. See, every one of us can live without those things. Catch this. The the gifts of the Spirit are insufficient without the Word of God. But the Word of God can stand alone as sufficient to bring about the greatest work of the Spirit. But none of the gifts of the Spirit can bring about the greatest work of the Spirit outside of the Word of God. What does that tell you and me? That tells us that every single one of us have the avenue for experiencing the greatest work of the Spirit, which means we get to walk and know Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. It doesn't matter to me if the rest of my life I experience no other work of the Spirit save the work of knowing Jesus Christ. What we all need and what we cannot live without is knowing Him having the confidence of his promises, the confirmation of his presence through the Spirit so that we might know by the presence of the Spirit that Jesus Christ will never leave us or forsake us. When we have Christ, we say he is enough. And when you get to the place where you can say he is enough, that is the place where you are experiencing the greatest work of the Spirit. Now, I recognize I've not answered all the questions, and I may have created more than I've answered, but I want to tell you we want to walk together in this, and we want to encourage the pursuit of the works of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit as the Scripture entails. And so if you've got more questions, we can talk. If you've got more concerns, we can have conversations. Talk to each other. Dig into God's word. But please, make sure you function with God's word as your rule. As God's priorities as your priorities. And you spend your efforts on the certain things of the Lord.